If you're vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. next game is going to be full of lovable scamps and here's why in this episode we find some answers to how can we craft npcs that the party will die for and how can we use their stories to draw the players in even more and why is jeffrey golden's target run going to be your next one shot welcome to the hook and chance podcast i'm jordan and i'm his brother travis so sometimes we've got grand plans for our games such great ideas have been flowing, and we have such good fun in store for our players. But then comes that all-important mistake. We think the party is going to care about an NPC that we have carefully designed, but they don't. They strike them down. They light them on fire. <laughs> they douse them in pig's blood and laugh at them. They turn the story into a dark and twisted horror where the party are now the villains, all because you wanted them to like the mayor's kids. <laughs> How many campaigns have you DM'd where they carried one of your NPCs? Oh, well, you know, Baker's Dozen. <laughs> oh, how do we break this cycle? Yeah, apparently I'm really bad at making lovable NPCs, if that's the case. You make a good point. But I get your point. I've done this far too often, where I've made an NPC that I think the players are going to love, and then they just don't give a shit about them. Yeah, they move on, they go somewhere else, they go looking for trouble in a place you had no <laughs> no plans whatsoever for. Well, clearly we know shit all about making great NPCs, so this is why we needed an expert to come and help us. Yes, so joining us today is a narrative designer for video games that's dipped his writing stick into many other pots. His clients include Warner Brothers, Ubisoft, Disney, Capcom, Lionsgate... Uh, we're going to come back to the dipped his writing stick into other pots later because <laughs> uh, I don't want to let that one go. But he's also worked on so many tabletop role-playing games, uh, Wet Hot American Summer Fantasy Camp, the role-playing adventure game. He's created a 5e compatible module for Helm Greycastle, uh, an image comic series. You can sign up at any point for his RPG newsletter, Adventure Snack, where you get a very bite-sized choose-your-own-adventure to go through on a break. He's also a comedian and prolific podcaster whose titles include The Worst Movies Ever Played, where he has two friends play an RPG where they improvise 80s straight-to-VHS-style movies. If ever I've heard a unique pitch for actual play podcast, that's it. Oh, yeah. And most recently, he's got a short adventure called Target Run, which debuted as the number one hottest community comedy on DMs Guild. We're going to learn a bit more about that later on in the episode. Welcome to Jeffrey Golden. Oh, thanks for having me. This is going to be so much fun. I'm so excited. Indeed. I'm very excited because I've been hearing your uh, sweet voice as all of the characters on one of your podcasts, which we're going to get into later. Oh, that's so that's so cool. That's so cool. <laughs> that's so cool. It was wonderful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hearing all these, all these different voices. Yeah. 
Well, what uh, what are you going to be working on today? Ooh, what am I working on today? Um, all right, I'll tell you about uh, I'll tell you about a top secret <gasps> hush hush project that I am working on. Um, we are in very 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 early prototypes. I am not sure that this is going to fully work, but I did just finish a build, a a stable and working build for what I hope will be uh, an interactive hologram. Uh, so yeah, I know it, it'll be, uh, you know, holograms, like you tell you like those holograms that you see, they're like projected. I'm hoping that it will, you could talk to it and you could, it'll tell you a story and you, it'll ask you questions and stuff. Um, I have never developed in Unity before. I am uh, working on it in Unity and I did manage to actually today, after like about a month and a half of work, I actually managed to make a stable build that does all the things that in theory this project would need to do. It It is very janky. <laughs> like this is not something that you could like run on your home computer. It requires like a lot of like weird additional pieces in addition to the game itself to the app itself but it does work um and so yeah i'm working with a partner who uh is going to do i think focus on the hardware of it and uh and so the the hollow the bringing the making it of a hologram but i i believe i have built the interactive uh part of it so uh so yeah that's what i'm that's what i was working on today right up until uh, until the call and that's what Jeffrey's doing with his Saturday. <laughs> it really makes, uh, really kicks the shit out of my Saturday plans. That's amazing. That's, uh, that's incredible. I spent, I spent yesterday uh, a work day, a Friday, uh, mostly playing Uno. So, it goes, <laughs> so, uh, but it's a really good, we have a really good Uno set. Um, so I'm very happy, very happy. The pendulum swings both ways. Exactly. Got it. Exactly. Didn't know they made quality Uno sets. <laughs> this one has a no card, which is really great. So it's like a wild card. It's like a no. So if like somebody gives you like draw two, you could just be like, I play the no card and actually you draw two. I love that. It's like, <laughs> I, I want to, it's a wild four. It's actually, a, actually, no, you take, you take those four cards, which is so nice. It's so nice. That sounds like <laughs> it would be useful in... TTRPGs as well, actually. I'd like one of those in D&D. I love that. I love that mechanic. Um, you couldn't do it all the time, but it'd be interesting to be able to... Uh, because, like, basically, like, TTRPGs are, like, a big improv game with rules, with, like, complex rules. And so, like, it is funny to have a mechanic in an improv scene that lets you say no to the person <laughs> who's... <laughs> Actually, there is actually the game. That's actually funny because the game I play, I guess we talk about this later, but the, the game I do play on the podcast that you were talking about, actually, now that I think about it, effectively does have a no mechanic where you can tell the DM no. Uh, so we can talk about that later. But um, but now that you mention it, yeah, it is. And it is fun. It's a lot of fun to do it. You're going to send so many people flocking to this RPG <laughs> so many D, uh, so many D D players are gonna be like oh, wait i can tell my dm no i need this power <laughs> you can earn you earn it it's fascinating you earn the ability to tell the dm no and it's and it's so satisfying uh when you could do it the manticore crawls out of its cave 
a no. <laughs> no, actually, the manicure is sleeping in today. <laughs> the manicure is going to curl up with the with the New York Times <laughs> sleep mask and ear, earbuds in. There's no way it's going to notice you. <laughs> well, why are NPCs, especially lovable ones, yes, so important to our games and our stories? Absolutely. The uh, NPCs, characters, lovable characters particularly, draw us into the world. Um, that's what we are trying to achieve as storytellers for the most part. There are exceptions, but for the most part, what I think what most storytellers want is to engross their, uh, their players or their audience into a world. And having characters that we as viewers, as players, fall in love with that is the most engrossing thing you can you could do they're really like you know yeah there are mechanics that you that will get you involved if you're making movies yeah you can build you know beautiful cg sets or whatever but there's literally nothing more engrossing in a storytelling medium than uh your player falling in love with your characters um that's it that's the main, they will forgive so much, like so much, you know, so, you know, oh, this, this, this battle is unbalanced, you know, oh, this plot point doesn't quite, doesn't, they will forgive so much if they love your main character, uh, I am telling you. <laughs> well, and those characters, like those, especially the ones that we care about, they're the only thing that makes the stakes worthwhile too. It's true. Yeah, 100%. If we don't, if, I mean, yeah, we as players in a TTRPG, we care about ourselves and our goals, sure, you know, but that, but in a sense, like, we bring so much, we bring the kind of, we bring depth and lovability to our characters. So it's effectively the same thing. It's just you as a DM can do the same trick, you know, in terms of engrossing and in terms of, uh, yeah, making you care. It's like, you, you can do that as well. And when you do pull off a lovable character as the DM, I find that the players at the table will often, you know, discard everything they cared about before. This is now all they want is to protect this character. We, we want a human connection with our media. Um, it's part of like what, in my opinion, anyway, at least as I see it, like what media is like all about, like fictional media. It's like, it's all about like understanding ourselves as people. And the way we understand ourselves is by empathizing and learning about others. And uh, it helps us, it helps us understand ourselves better and our journey better. And so yeah, that's what that's that I agree with you 100%. Like that's, a character players will latch on to that character because you know ultimately yeah they want to defeat a dragon or they want to collect that loot but like deep 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 in the recesses these games are all about learning about ourselves right it's like learning about like how do we face how do we do in the face of fear what would we do you know what would we do uh, you know, in if we were on a heroic quest, or you know, you know, learning about uh, how you know our own fight or flight instincts, um, 
and also like playing, finding new parts of ourselves through our characters, right? It's like, okay, I normally, you know, I'm a timid person normally, but I'm going to play as a barbarian, you know, it's like, what is that? What can you learn about yourself by playing as a barbarian? You know, that's, to me, that's, that's the ball game. Oh, I'll summarize by just saying that that's deep. I don't think <laughs> we could have a more perfect person to teach us more about NPCs and especially making lovable ones. I've so, I've been I've been uh, I've been you know there's that ten thousand hours thing. Malcolm Gladwell says you become an expert in a subject if you do ten thousand. I've I've been working on this stuff for a lot more than ten thousand hours at the <laughs> at the detriment of other things that would all that would help me. Of uh, you know, uh, exercise, eating right, um, you know, all these things that would help me. No, nope, screw those. I've just been focusing on storytelling, writing. What does it mean? Why do we do it? What is the what are the best practices? Um, yeah, but at, at the detriment of all else. That's a joke. Oh, yeah, it's not a hundred percent true, but there's some truth in there. <laughs> anyway, let's oh, let's sure. conti- let's continue. <laughs> I love it. Well, we'll continue over in the strategy stateroom. This is the strategy stateroom, where inventive and cunning tactics are crafted for when they're needed most. Well, as you know, we're all here to learn about lovable NPCs. So to give this a little bit of structure, we talked to Jeffrey before and we came up with uh, the three things to kind of think about when designing these characters. How you're going to introduce them, how you're going to create their story, and how you're going to create an investment from the players in these characters. So let's start with the introductions. Absolutely. Um, I am happy to. So Here's how I, uh, this is how, this is the first thing I do when I'm thinking about a character um, is I think about their adjectives. Um, I think about the words that describe this character's personality. And if I'm trying to create a lovable character, I start with positive adjectives. So, uh, okay, this is a, let's say we've got a waitress in a tavern who we want the uh, these characters to love, right? Here's some positive attributes maybe we might want to, as- to assign to this character. Maybe she is quizzical. Maybe she is innocent. Maybe she is silly, playful, uh, you know, easygoing. Uh, you know, just thinking about like some adjectives that will like, oh, I can immediately, these are things... And if there's one that's like particularly strong, that's really good. Um, I usually, I generally go with three to create a, like a, a rounded character. I'll generally go with three. And usually I'll do two positive attributes and one negative attribute. And the reason is that uh, if I want to create a character that is truly lovable, um, that character will usually have some kind of flaw. Um, now, characters that are less lovable tend to have more flaws than positive attributes, right? 
So if I'm creating a lovable character, I want to use positive attributes, but maybe one flaw. Maybe uh, our waitress at the bar is klutzy, or maybe she's a little curt, you know. Uh, you know, she could be like one of those New York type, you know, diner waitresses, you know, heart <laughs> of gold, you know, great conversationalist, but is, yeah, maybe a little curt or maybe, uh, you know, a little impatient or something like that. Um, so thinking about your adjectives, I think is really good. Um, and, uh, yeah, when, another way to build a character is to think about somebody who you love in like in real life. Um, now I say this with a, with a big asterisk, um, right? <laughs> Whenever you're doing this, you don't want to create somebody who is literally an identical caricature of somebody you <laughs> and your players know in real life, unless that's like a big fun joke that like everybody's going to be cool with or whatever. Um, but like, I don't encourage people to like make like mocking representations of other people <laughs> in their role-playing game specifically to hurt people's feelings. <laughs> I do not recommend that. I'm going to put that up. But it is, uh, you know, people use their real life to inform characters in their writing. And so that is a way you can you can use a, uh, a person in your real life who you really love, you think is lovable, as a basis for the character. And then you know, thinking about some of their best qualities um, and then creating maybe a fantasy version. Maybe I like to do, I, so I, I generally don't, will, won't do a one for one. Usually what I'll do is I'll take like two people who I know and I'll sort of remix them together if I'm doing this method. I will sort of take, mm -hmm. okay, I'm going to take qualities of this person and that person and I'm going to kind of mix them together and okay, there's my, there's my character, you know. Uh, I might take this person's sort of motivations and philosophy of life, but I'll take this person's sort of attitude and I'll put them together. It's like, oh, okay, I'm creating, creating an engine that way. Um, so yeah, that's usually that's that's usually like it's pretty pretty simple, um, pretty simple stuff. Now, um, if you're if you're building, you know, if you're starting out, if you're just starting out, it might be helpful also to use characters from fiction. Um, that you like as well. And there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe if you're, you know, selling it, um, if you're selling your stuff on the DMs Guild or something like that, you may run into copyright problems or whatever if you're using <laughs> Gandalf, you know, whatever. But, you know, for purposes of being a young, you know, being a young storyteller, I, I think it can absolutely be just fine to take characters from fiction you who are lovable, who you really like, and plunking them into the game. And then you, you, what you can do is you can sort of remix them a little bit. You can change them over time, give them your own personal spin. You know, maybe you want, to, I don't know, the most lovable character to me, like the most lovable character I, I've experienced in the last 10 years is Steven Universe. I love Steven Universe. <laughs> I think he's an amazing, I think he's an incredibly John character. Um, and so, you know, maybe I put Steven Universe in as a wizard or something like that in, in the game, but but maybe I'm thinking, oh, okay, you know what? Like, something that always bothered me about Steven Universe is that, like, he seems really, um, you know, maybe he's overly innocent for me. It's like, I'm going to create, like, a, maybe a more battle-hardened Steven Universe, you know? I mean, which they do explore later in the series. But, but to, you know, just to the point, it's like, I'm going to create a, a different take on, on him, you know? And then 
create that character, give him a new name, you know, and uh, yeah, and build a character that way. So there's a lot of ways. There's a lot of ways to build a lovable character. Master, but mm-hmm. I think you've touched on a couple of things that are both really important to Jordan and I as well in that, uh, like for instance, the the adjectives. We've done episodes on creating characters with real depth to them requires creating a character with say five traits. And when you touch on the two good, uh, or like, yeah, two or three good ones, one kind of neutral trait, one bad one, that creates a, a pretty rounded character. If you want a good villain, then they need to have at least one good trait, but maybe four bad traits mm-hmm. or something like that. And for an NPC, it makes a lot more sense to strip that down to something that's really easy and immediately role playable, which is three. I can handle three mentally. So for, yeah, side characters, that makes a ton of sense. Absolutely. And when you're doing your, um, when you're doing your character sheet and you're filling out the, you know, you're doing the, um, the traits, you know, you think about those characters, think about, oh, I, I feel like you're at, you know how in school you would write, like they teach you how to write essays and they're like, you need to have a topic sentence, right? Your topic sentence, uh, basically. And then you break down the, the, in the essay, you break down that topic sentence into paragraphs of like, okay, here's my first point that, 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 you know, that uh, emphasizes my topic sentence. Here's the second that confirms it. Here's the third. You can do kind of similar things with your character sheet and those adjectives. The adjectives are your thesis, right, of this character. That's like the nucleus of this character. And you can use your character sheet to sort of, uh, to, to prove that thesis to say, oh, okay, you know, my character has a fiery temper. It's like, oh, maybe that means they have this spell or this mechanic. You know, maybe they have this trait. You know, so so like you can you can you can sort of build the the character structurally from that from that nucleus. So your next step is you want to typically try to create their story. So yes. yeah, let's explore that a little bit more. Absolutely. Well, I think, you know, D and I love D and think it's a great game, but I think one of the one of the things I would change if I could wave a magic wand and change about character sheets is I feel like the way that they, you know, with the the the, the traits system that they have for creating characters is it encourages people to think only in terms of a character's backstory. And, you know, listen, lore, lore is important. I, have, I, I, I think it's absolutely uh, important to understand a character uh, and where they are from. But I feel like people get bogged down in their lore. Players and DMs get bogged down in their lore. And they, th- they feel that the lore is the character, that their backstory is the character. And I, I disagree with that. I think you can find a character in their lore, but I don't think that necessarily the things they did in the past necessarily tells you who that person is in the present, right? From the standpoint of like that per- of personality, right? Like read somebody's like go ahead and try like reading a celebrity's like Wikipedia page, <laughs> right? Like that's lore. Right. That tells you like every, you know, it's like, okay, when they were when they were, uh, you know, 
you know, 18, they went to this college, they came out, they went to Juilliard to study acting, they came out, they struggled for a while, and but eventually they got their big break in this horror movie. It's like, okay, well, maybe I can draw persistence from that, but not necessarily. It might be that they that person's big break was through nepotism or whatever. So I really don't know much about that character through their back through that backstory. Now, when you're designing lore, this is why I like to start with adjectives first, because when I'm when I write lore, I use the lore like an essay to go back to those main adjectives to be like, okay, how how did that person become easygoing? Was that person always easygoing? Like what things happened in that person's life to become playful? Were their parents playful? You know, did they learn to be playful? Like, so to me, it's like, it's like using their backstory to reinforce their character traits, then tells me more about their character, right? Um, as opposed to just writing a, a, a things that say, this is why, this is this character's flaw. It's like, okay, like, yeah, that's, that could tell me something, that could in theory tell me something about that 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 person's character, but it also might not. It, it also might be confusing, right? It's like their flaw is, uh, you know, they, uh, I can't, my fingers are so sticky wherever I, whenever I'm in a shop, I always, you know, pick out, you know, whatever items are on the shelf for myself. It's like, well, okay, that person is a thief. Like, got it. That can be, certainly can be a flaw. Like, but why is that person a thief, right? It, that's, that's character. Like, answering that question is character. So, so, you know, that person might be desperate, right? Or that person might get a thrill from stealing, right? That person might steal because of the anarchy of it. They like to steal and then like show the shopkeeper, ah, ha ha, I got this thing and then run out, right? Like um, there's a lot of reasons that people, a person might be a thief. So if that's their flaw, like, again, thinking about like, what is that like negative trait that like leads a person to, to steal, you know? Personally, I think stealing is a positive trait. I think it's really cool to steal. <laughs> <laughs> Anarchy, it's fun. It's, it's fun. It's a good time. But whatever. Um, but you, you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying. Well, it can so often lead, I think, a lot of players, especially new ones, astray when they are because and DMs as well. Like world building and backstory building is fun to do. It's so much fun to write those backstories. But when you do the backstory or the world building before you do you've done the traits, then you kind of finish your backstory and you go, okay, uh, that's done. I've got a character right. now. But then you you kind of find out that they're a little bit hollow afterwards, and you're like, what what is it that's missing? I got distracted with the backstory that I didn't figure out those those traits. If you find that your players aren't interested in your lore and your characters' backstories, that might be one of the reasons. Is it may, you know, we were talking earlier about people playing these types of games to learn things about themselves and to learn things about the human condition. 
right? If that backstory doesn't tell me anything about myself or about like how a person can be, it may not read as interesting. It may just read as like a bunch of quests and a bunch of a bunch of details, right, to a story. Mm-hmm. Um, but we want that. We want that that humanity. That's what's so. That's what's so good, right? It's like. You know, uh, you know, everybody uses Star Wars, but whatever. Star Wars is like, it's to this kind of Joseph Campbell storytelling that like Mario is to video games, like Garfield is to comic <laughs> strips. It's like we all know it, we all understand it, right? Luke is a Luke is a farm boy who wants nothing more than action, right? He wants to. He is a, he's an innocent young kid who's bored in his hometown who wants to live a life of action. And who can't relate? Who can't relate to that? You know that that sort of that pluckiness, that need, the desire to grow into something better. And over the course of the series, what's great about it is that he learns that, like, yeah, at first, in the first movie, he gets exactly what he wishes for, and it's a lot of fun, and it's a good time. And then in the second movie, he starts to realize that maybe he was in way over his head <laughs> <laughs> with this. Maybe it would have been better to be a far, you know, to be a farm boy. Maybe it would have been better to look after his uh, aunt and uncle's farm and be there to protect them from the stormtroopers, <laughs> asshole. You ever think of that going off with your friends to, to hang out in their hookah lounge or whatever in that deleted scene? Following a mysterious you know? old desert man. <laughs> right, yeah. This is where the action is. I'm gonna follow this creepy old man. <laughs> follow the creep, the desert creep. Um so yeah. Anyway, that that's a that's a fun tangent, but but uh, but yeah, that's that's the thing, right? That 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 drive, that that uh, emotional drive, at the center is what will hook your players. Um, so so lore is important. Um, and uh, and here's another. Uh, here's something else that's lore is really I think really comes in handy with, um, and that is talking about a character's weakness, right? Like understanding a character's vulnerability is really important um, because uh, you can you as a DM can use that um, with with your characters because if your NPCs can overcome their weakness or can challenge their weaknesses, oh, there is nothing that your players will want to see more than a lovable NPC overcoming their weaknesses uh, and, and achieving, uh, being able to achieve their goals. That is, uh, that is gripping. That is some, uh, it, that is some, uh, awesome stuff. Uh, if you can do, if you could do it. And so lore, that's where, that's where you learn about weaknesses and like flaw on the character sheet and the traits, like that can be a weakness. You know, I think oftentimes we think of it maybe as a negative trait, but it can also be like a flaw in terms of like a, a personal failing, a weakness, you know that they have. You know that that they have that could be conquered uh, potentially in your story. That's that's a really cool moment. I mean, this is so starting to resonate here as we've kind of chatted through a couple of these points. Um, you've got like the typical approach is I want to create this rogue. They I'm going to write this like ten page backstory about how they abandon their friend and that's why I'm going to play this like kind of haunted character. You start with that. I want to play a haunted character. I want to play a challenged character. Cool. Okay. That's, that's really motivating. Now I'm going to create a little bit of a lore around why will they abandon their friend? That's why they're haunted and they're, and now all of a sudden when they don't abandon the party in the time of need, that has shown some growth 
as soon as an NPC or a character overcomes something that you know has been an established struggle for them, now all of a sudden you're endeared to them. You're like, wow, you can do it. I believe in you. And mm-hmm. then if they have missteps in the future, then you feel that pain. And if they have future successes, you're like, yes, I, I'm celebrating for you. Like that draws you in so deep. You were talking about haunted characters. I agree 100% with what you're saying. I, I, you're talking about haunted characters. One of the first uh, times I experienced exactly what you're talking about was with uh, the old X-Men, the animated series uh, cartoon. And my favorite moment, one of, some of my favorite moments in X-Men, the animated series, are with uh, Wolverine and Jubilee, right? Wolverine is this haunted character, right? He's a, he's a gruff guy. He's, he's super tough. You know, tough as nails. Um, he won't let anybody in um, until he meets Jubilee as a sort of a surrogate daughter figure. And there are moments where he lets his guard down and he grows a little bit and learns that, like, he maybe needs to let people in, uh, friends in and stuff in order to help him. And, like, that's that I think is really smart because you can play a character like that. There's a lot of characters like that in Western fiction of like loners, you know, rugged, do-it-yourself loners, tough as nails, whatever. But the interesting thing is when it's like, okay, like, yes, that is something we as Americans like are interested in that. We are interested in that archetype. You know, clearly our fiction like (laughs) supports that. You know, yes, we do love it in Westerns. We love it in all manners of, manners of media but like when you see when those characters show vulnerability that's where you that's where you start to really feel for them they're more than just cool they are human they are interesting they are memorable you know and love and lovable i think that, uh, that makes yeah. them lovable for sure yeah because like you're saying if you don't take those moments to show that vulnerability and that character is just tough all the way through by the end, you're just like, okay, yeah, that was the archetype. I get it. <laughs> Didn't really feel anything about it. Exactly. The funny thing is, is that I would typically approach that character and go, okay, so I'm playing this character. Um, he's going to be really standoffish, doesn't want to let anybody in, or like his ultimate arc is is to let people in. And there's this like kind of background idea that as soon as I do that, as soon as I let that person in, well, then their story arc is concluded. Like, oh, we've come full circle. The, st- the characters learn something on to the next thing. But the the irony is, is that like Wolverine did that in every episode. Yeah. He, you know, the, there was a resolution at the end where he's like, oh, he can actually work with Cyclops and stop being a dick to him <laughs> for a minute so that they can succeed. But then at the start of the next episode, he's a dick again. Right. That's TV. You know, TV... Because TV is different than uh, with a lot of um, a lot of D and D is this sort of sequential storytelling, right? Serialized yeah. storytelling, and a lot of television, at least traditionally traditional TV, especially you know those days. I mean, X Men: The Animated Series was a serial, but it, for the most part, in a, in a sense, usually speaking, it's an episodic story. In other words, yeah. the 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 conflicts that we start in that episode resolve in that episode. There may be broader things professor xavier is lost on the savage land with magneto for 10 episodes you know that that we come check in with over 10 episodes but 
for the most part, like the the conflicts resolve within that episode, you know, Dark Phoenix Saga, uh, notwithstanding, you know. So, uh, but in D&D, a lot of times, you know, you'll have like one, maybe you'll do, you know, do a one-shot campaign, but a lot of what we think of traditional D&D is like multiple, you know, it's like a, it's a connecting multiple things. So yeah, so when a character does like reach an emotional arc, yeah, we do feel like they're 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 done um, because you know they that's the co- that was their main conflict, and we don't have that opportunity to reboot them, you know, like in TV. That sort of that understanding that okay, this character might be, um, but 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 that being said, you know, um, people have emotional realizations all the time without necessarily changing their whole personality you know that is true that is something about episodic storytelling that is true right it's like people often have little breakthroughs as opposed to major breakthroughs right um it's it's hard for us i think as people to see the forest for the trees of our own personalities but like when presented with something that we have done wrong we can sometimes hopefully come to the conclusion that we did something wrong and then grow from that, you know, without necessarily being like, oh, am I always an asshole? But maybe it's like, <laughs> maybe it's like, you know, I need to, uh, I okay, I should listen a little bit more in meetings, you know, when people are, are talking. Uh, I shouldn't talk over them so much. Um, you know, that's like a little bit of growth. As opposed to like, so it just it depends on the type of storytelling that you're doing in your campaign. I think when applying it to NPCs, it works a lot. Like you don't really have to think too much about the next arc with a with a lovable sidekick for your party. Like once they have that celebration moment that they broke through, they're going to correct me if I'm wrong, but they're going to love that character forever right every time they show yeah. up they'll just be like yes you're back <laughs> i don't need you to grow anymore you're good yeah they may uh, you know this is the kind of thing where your players become your audience in that sense and you have to sort of judge for yourself yeah like how what is the you know how do my players feel about this character now um you know has my you know or does this character need a new emotional arc right like you know, may, okay, maybe this character overcame their, like, biggest challenge, their, like, biggest weakness. Like, so what does that, you know, what does that mean? Does that mean that, like, they go off into the sunset happy? Or does that mean that, like, there is something else for them now that, that oh, there is now a new problem, you know, that uh, they don't foresee? Um, you know, using Steven Universe as another example, the, the, the last season of the show, I think, was actually its best. Um, it basically, you know, Steven Universe wraps up pretty cleanly from a from a narrative perspective over the course. It has a very long running arc where Steven learns to come, learns to sort of accept his past, his his uh, his sort of the, the his fa- his family past not not uh, spoiling it. Um, but in the last season um, where they have resolved all that co- this conflict that lasted multiple seasons and multiple years. They explore a different thing, which is like his uh, this complex that a hero has when they take on too much responsibility and to the emotional weight that he has felt over the past several years 
of burdening all of this responsibility for all of these other characters in order to see through the major changes that needed to happen. And uh, it creates real problems for him. And um, those resolve too. Don't worry. Everything <laughs> works out fine for Steven Universe at the end of Steven Universe. But the, uh, but the point being, that here was a character who had resolved their emotional arc over multiple seasons. And then they found something new that this character could deal with. Um, still the same character, still the same lovable guy, but um, but a new core problem that uh, that that uh, that unlocked because they had solved the uh, because they had solved the other problem. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was a result of the story, not like some totally new thing. I, right. I think that could really work well for for those characters that start innocent and and they overcome it. And now they're almost a part of the party. Now they're burdened by all the stuff that the party is has put upon them almost that would be a really good npc arc your next thought about creating great lovable npcs is building an investment or creating an investment with those characters let's uh let's dive into that a little bit more so uh i'm a narrative designer uh i work in video games and so i feel from my perspective that uh a story in video games uh, serves at the behest of the mechanics. In other words, my job as a storyteller is to get you to love the mechanics, the play mechanics of the game that you're playing. And I feel the same way when uh, when I'm designing for tabletop uh, as well. I want the mechanics to support the characters. So, okay, let's go back to our waitress, right? Let's say our waitress is kurt right she is uh she's lovable she's fun but let's say her flaw her fur is that she uh you know gets into trouble her her mouth gets her into trouble okay with her customers so uh all right so the, mechanically speaking what i want to happen is i want this tavern to erupt in a bar fight right i want my players in a bar fight because they're going to find out that the um, the owner of this tavern is uh, you know hiding some kind of horrible secret and I need to and and the best way to, to get that secret out of him is to put the manager in some kind of horrible danger and so to do that I'm going to create just a massive bar fight right it's like well okay like there are many ways I could you could start a bar fight but like if I have this, if this waitress NPC is really important, right, maybe we can do it through character. And so maybe there's like a customer that's like a table down from the party who is like, you know, a real asshole and, you know, is treating this waitress poorly and this waitress is not having it and is like putting him down. And like that leads like the the, the the guy to get upset and she gets upset and the party inter- and then the party is naturally probably going to want to intervene, you know, on her behalf because she already talked to them and and won their trust and their favor. And so the party is probably going to want to step in. And then that's going to lead the assholes party to fight with them. And then this domino effect where everything, you know, saying and then the manager comes out and he gets, you know, that he gets involved. And then the party has met the manager and suddenly and knows, you know, oh, the manager is wearing that medallion, you know, that we were warned about. Okay, so that's kind of what I mean when I say, like, you're creating 
memorable moments with mechanics, right? It's like her person, her personality and the storytelling mechanics go hand in hand, right? I want that encounter. And the way I'm going to get that and going to lead the players to that encounter is through character is I'm going to make you fall in love with the character. Then I'm going to want you, you're going to want to defend that character. That's going to naturally lead you into the, uh, into the encounter, right? Into the fight encounter. Now, will it always work the way you intend? Of course not. It's Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> the, you know, DMs have been, uh, you know, they're, the players have been thwarting their DMs for as long as the game has existed. But in terms of like how how I designed, that's how I that's how I designed. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I I think there's a takeaway for DMs too that if you want to progress the story in a way that's going to matter, take any NPC that they already care about. Because I mean, I've stumbled into so many of those accidentally creating those lovable characters, but. You know, if you've got a handful of those, that's how you push your story forward. I like it. And it can give so much value and reason and motivation to the story as well. When you do, you know, they'll wrap up this bar brawl, but they'll still, once all of the dust is settled, go and check on the waitress and say, hey, are you okay? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm I'm doing great. And now all of a sudden you can dive her deeper into their investment um, into the party. I've had NPCs and I've done this accidentally, not really realizing what we're doing. And all of this is starting to come to light as we're having this conversation. <laughs> but I've had parties that have funded a, a, a weird one-off NPC and have put them through college <laughs> and sent them off to like, and dumped all of their adventuring gold into trying to invest into this character. Yeah without any idea why and it's it's likely because i i tiptoed around a couple of these ideas yeah that you that that you created invested your you created a lovable npc that was easy to invest in um i mean look at like you look at like our national healthcare system aka gofundme this is <laughs> this is what go this is literally what gofundme is it is introducing a human to you why do I care about this human? Well, this person is a caring, compassionate, you know, person in their community who and and they need help. And they their their, you know, heart surgery is, is not covered by their insurance and they work in the games industry. So God love them. They don't have the health care and they really need our help right now. And yeah, that's you're going to throw you're going to throw money at that because that you you immediately, I understand those persons, the traits about that person, their perseverance, their creativity, their their caring. I understand they need they need our help. They need my they need my assistance right now. And I, as a fellow human, you know, can relate to that. You know, even if I have health insurance, I've gone to the hospital, I've had issues with my health before, and I know how trying, or my my or my family did. I know how trying that could be, and so I want to I want to invest in their in their story, right? In their health as a good person, but also in their story because I want that story to have a good to have a good ending because that's what I want for myself, 
right? And that's what I want from the people who I love and I care about. I want them to be to 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 come out well. And so that's what we're that's that's what we're doing as storytellers, right? Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah. I mean, the takeaway being <laughs> uh write your NPCs like you're writing a GoFundMe is a, is an interesting place to land on this one. <laughs> <laughs> It is, but it's but there's but in terms of health, yeah. in terms of because yeah. like it's exactly what you're talking about. They want to they want to put that character through college. They, like that's the that's the power of 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 human based storytelling is is emotional based storytelling. Um, that's what we're that's what we're tapping into, right? Um, that's what we want. That's what we want for our uh, that that's what we want for our uh, for our players is to have that emotional engagement. Right. Because if they're not emotionally engaged, we yeah. can tell. Right. If they're not emotionally engaged, there's there are. I mean, I don't you know, there's a controversy. If you say if you say people are looking at their phone. Well, people can be looking at their phone for many reasons. There's a lot of different reasons people could be looking at their phone. It doesn't not necessarily indicative, but it might be it. it you know, if your players look bored, if your players are, you know, having side conversations, if your character, if your players are watching a, you know, a sport, get, you know, they're watching some sport on the TV, they may not be emotionally engaged. That that doesn't mean you're doing a bad job as a DM, but it may it may mean that instead of focusing on the details of the world building, maybe you want to focus on the details of what makes your characters mm -hmm. human. And maybe that will resonate with your players more than some of these details will. And maybe then your your character. You know, I always think about I think about like Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings is 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 you know it's great. Um, but like for me as a player as a as somebody, I know that there are people out there like the Stephen Colbert's of the world who like love every detail about the Lord of the Rings, and they will sing. You know that's. That's why they're there. That's what keeps them there, right? It's like learning about like the the elves did this and the hobbits did this and the the ring does this and it's like wonderful. Like if that's your jam, that's your jam, and I dig it. But like I think for I think for most people, and that includes people who play D and D, especially now that D and D has become a wider hobby. I I think for most people. What they what we want with stories is to be engaged on a human level. And so, you know, for me, when I watch Lord of the Rings, I want to know, like, I, I'm invested in uh, I'm invested in our hobbits. I'm invested in, in Sam and Frodo's friendship. Right. Ultimately, I think of that story as like in the same way that you would think of like a road trip <laughs> comedy of like it's like a buddy. It's like a buddy story. Right. And I've had like I've had good friendships that have, you know, that have experienced hardships, and so to me, like that's the that's the thing, right? That's what I'm here for. And then whatever else happens, oh, they run into a dragon that's greedy, you know, they run into a tower with a big eyeball. Like those things are cool. Like those are cool details. But ultimately, what it's about for me is the story of two friends on a journey together. And like who are different types of people who, you know, but who have to work together to beat the odds. And it's like, yeah, what is, you know, that's that's, you know, story of my life. Me and my friends, you know, my, my, me and my weird friends trying to beat the odds. I get I can relate to that. And so uh, so, yeah, that's that's to me. That's how I that's how that's why I invest. Well, 
you're kind of making me see this totally differently than how I started, because what you're saying about those really detail oriented people, I mean, I can't speak for everybody, obviously, but when I get invested in the details of a world, it's still only because I was drawn in by the characters. I've never started with, yeah. Oh, an eyeball in the middle of a volcano. Okay. <laughs> this is my favorite thing ever. <laughs> no, not without everyone doing stuff around it. But some and some people, but yeah, some people fair. do. I I don't think it's a I don't think it's a majority, but I, I think some people really do like come in through those details. It's it's like you know they see they can imagine like the painting in their head of like what it looks like, you know, and that's that's awesome. Like that's really cool. But if you're a DM and you're you know and you find other people like that and you want to play a game like that, Dungeons Dragons can accommodate you and you can do that. Um, for me though, I, with, I'm with you. I, I need that like emotional hook. I need those, like that character based storytelling at the center of the, of the piece. And then any world building around it will be awesome. Like it will like amplify all, all those details like are so much more interesting to me. I think that's the shift that I've gone through in this conversation is thinking that we were talking about adding something to your game and going to this is where where I'm going to start my game. This is the core of it and everything else will branch off from here. <laughs> well, that's listen and that may be that reflects um my worldview as a professional. This is how I this is how I build um, but yeah, your your existing campaign, I think, would benefit from more lovable NPCs. And you can use these methods anytime. You don't have to start here. You don't have to be like, oh, no, I'm too, too detail-oriented. <laughs> crumple, 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 we're starting over again. You can infuse this type of storytelling anytime you want to. Like, it doesn't have to start from the beginning. But for me, I always start from this, this place. Um, which is interesting because uh, as a narrative designer in the video game space, um, this is almost never the case. Um, so for, you know, when you come into a game project, almost always there's something called a vertical slice that is done prior to a storyteller being hired. So in other words, uh, a vertical slice is like mechanics. It's like a bit of, it's like setting. It's like a little bit of character. It's like models, basically. It's like, They've already done some of the world building. They've already done they've already done some details when I come into a project. That's not generally what I'm bringing. What I'm bringing is the emotion, the heart, the the story. And I'll also add lore. Like I'll also like also world build because they haven't done that much world building at the beginning of the stage. But they've done some. They usually have done a little bit. And so you're not coming in and they're like, you know, they're 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 not saying uh what is this game yeah they're saying what is this story why do i care about this world that we've created and that's that's and so so for me it's like yeah yeah that's you can so for me like yeah you can build these types of emotions and stuff into a world that is all details, all window dressing, you know, all lore. You know, you can you can build these this storytelling into it for sure. I feel like it's almost a great challenge for DMs to start with those traits 
and see which ones the players bite at um, before, you know, even investing in the next piece, maybe having some loose ideas. But that is is absolutely fascinating to me in that if I just lean on some of these attributes and some of these um, adjectives and traits, then I can see which ones of the players they they kind of jump at and go, okay, so now I can create their story. Now I can give them a little bit of backstory, maybe even model it after one of the other players at the table because I know that their backstory, so maybe they have a similar one. And now all of a sudden they're going to invest it a little bit more. And then my mm-hmm. next ask is simply where I want the story to go next. Oh, I actually, you know, there was this temple that I'd heard about that my uncle always talked about. Well, oh, that's actually the temple that we were thinking. And now all of a sudden you've got all of the pieces that you need to push the story directly where you want it to go and not have to feel like you're always this rudderless ship following the whims of these players and wherever the hell they want to go. Absolutely. You can, can you can definitely um, use emotional storytelling to guide the players for sure um, in ways that because they'll because they the reason that players might be trying to guide the storytelling is from from you as the DM is that they may want that emotional story. They may be looking for it. <laughs> and so they that that may be the pushback that you're getting. They don't realize they may not realize that's what they're doing, but they may you know what and by the way just i i love the um we're from the same hometown uh trope uh it's like always leads to like the best conversations uh in real life but i also think it get in a fantasy world too because it's really funny to mirror that it's like oh my god you're you know you're from you know you're from dragon town like i'm from dragon town you know uh you know watch out for the fire well you know they both say at the same time and it's like oh yeah i love you know that's it's so good like you immediately are bonded with the stranger if you're from the same hometown it's it's very it's very funny uh and it's yeah it's a great uh it's it's a great device for sure love it well, you alluded to some really amazing experiences and, and uh, you know, professional projects that you've worked on. I would love to hear more about those. But to do that, I think we should probably pop over to the hero stage and continue the conversation there. The hero stage. This is the hero stage where fantastic folk have a spotlight turned to them to tell the tales of their adventurous lives. All right, Jeffrey, you have a background that is entirely fascinating to me. But I think first, I need to know what makes you the type of person that creates the stories and fun that you do. You mentioned that um, one term to describe you could be obsessed about storytelling to the uh, detriment to your <laughs> other life skills. So what makes, That's right. what makes you chase this path so fervently? Oh, I, I have always, uh, I, I can't even explain it. It has literally been since I was a child, I have wanted to tell, be a storyteller. Um, you know, you have these different units in elementary school, uh, and, and I would always get stuck in the storytelling ones or the ones that were about creative writing. I remember we did a unit on, um, in, I think it was third grade, about like advertising, and we were 
uh, we were tasked to come up with like our own like commercial, like we were supposed to write like our own TV commercial. And like everybody, you know, wrote their commercial. I ended up writing like 12, 13, 15 <laughs> commercials. I loved it. And I would just turn them in and my teacher just encouraged it. It was just like, yeah, yeah, keep keep going. Um, I, I, yeah, so it, as literally as far back as I can remember, uh, I have loved making, I made comics. I, I wrote short stories. Um, it's really, it, it's, it's fun, but it's also just like, I don't know, it's as innate in me as anything that I did. I do really, I, I feel like, again, it's like I, I was doing it, but there were certain life skills. I didn't know how to, didn't know how to, to feed myself before I was telling stories, you know, like, it's just like, there. it's, it's so deep in my DNA, perhaps. I don't know. I, my, um, I come from a very creative family, so that may be uh, that may be part of it too. They're very encouraging in terms of my uh, creative pursuits, and they all pursue um, creative professions. So, um, so, so, yeah, probably it also might be learned learned behavior as well. And how would you say you got your start on this career path? Um, so, in terms of game writing, um, I would say entirely by accident. Um, of course, I played a lot of games growing up, but I didn't ever, it never occurred to me that somebody could be a game writer as a profession. Um, I knew that there were TV writers. So there, there are older TV writers who often say when you ask them this question, like, I didn't know that you could write professionally for television. Um, so I am now in the younger generation. I would say I didn't know you could professionally write games uh and and because in my head it's like my conception of games were like okay there's like tabletop role-playing games i can't imagine anybody gets paid to make those um right like those guys are just like doing it as a hobby right and then like there's video games where there's like barely any story usually it's like or dialogue so it's like oh like how like how much, how many uh, days does a writer work to write uh, in the year 20XX, but Mega Man was cool. You know, like how, <laughs> is that a career? I don't think that's a career. And um, Mario so, only has one story. So that's yeah, done. exactly. Yeah. That was literally like, that was an innovation. Like when Shigeru Miyamoto was like, Donkey Kong kidnaps uh, <laughs> Pauline and Mario has to save her. That was like the first video game with a story. And that story ended up being the only story in video games for like <laughs> a decade. <laughs> like pretty much every game had that story for except for like role play games. It's fascinating. So anyway, uh, how did I get my start? I got it completely by accident. I was hired um, to a uh, one of my first writing gigs in Los Angeles was for an animation company. It was like a Flash animation website. Um, so Flash animation, which shut down relatively recently. Now there is no more Flash, um, but it used to be the internet, the internet thing, circa the mid-aughts, uh, early, late 90s. But the, if you know Homestar Runner, Homestar Runner is the Flash uh, animation uh, Mickey Mouse. He is the, uh, the, the, <laughs> the emblem of the, of the medium. Um, so uh, and they ended up branching off into games um, as a studio. And they were like, do you want to write these games? And it was like, yeah, I want to write these games. Of course I do. Um, 
a lot of them were like tie-ins for products. So it was like Oakley sunglasses, skateboarding game. But they all needed stories. They all had stories, and they all needed stories. And I learned. I learned that I really enjoyed uh, writing stories, and and I did it for. Uh, it was the start of my career of doing uh, game writing. That's very cool. Is there anything that throughout your career, like that you've learned that you didn't really expect to learn about, like? You, you went in knowing quite a bit about storytelling. So like, what are some of the biggest like developments that came throughout your career? Mm. Developments in terms of like lessons learned? Yeah. Like what are some of the biggest lessons learned throughout this? Ooh. Well, in terms of game writing, um, I learned that uh, the, I learned that the mechanics come first in games, typically speaking. Um, with few exceptions. Um, re- people play games to experience the play mechanics. Um, story is a crucial component to some games, not all games. Um, what all games have in common in general is that they are, uh, and this is broadly speaking, but that they are fun to play on some level. And to be fun to play, you need fun mechanics. Um, story can be a factor, but it's not, it's not the thing. And even story-driven games still have mechanics at their heart. If you think about like the old Telltale video games, for example, those are story-driven games, right? But there are mechanics at play there. Basically, um, I think of Telltale-type games as almost like personality quizzes, right? It's almost like you know, what type of person are you? Or what type of, or maybe more accurately in terms of Telltale, what type of person do you think Batman is? Um, you know, and then through that, the story unfolds. So uh, that was a, that's a, that's a big thing to learn, uh, especially, and I was sort of, you start as a game writer where you're writing dialogue and characters, but when you become a narrative designer, you sort of have to understand the bridge between mechanics and storytelling and sort of the role that storytelling has in games. And uh, I think it's true in uh, TTRPGs as well. Um, they are story they are story driven games for sure. And there I've definitely gone through sessions where it takes a long time to roll a die. Um, but they're not improv scenes. You know, if you want to do improv, like there is a there's a world for that. You know, there, there is a whole separate thing. These are games, and games have mechanics. And the mechanics are, generally speaking, what draw people to play the games. You know, they want to do combat. They want to do dice rolls to see if they can do... They want to do crazy things, and they want those dice... You know, they want to maximize their dice rolls in order to be able to do those crazy things. And those are all the mechanics, you know. Um, That's... I would say that is, like key learning numero uno uh you know in terms of my uh storytelling and games career i would say put that right the, right at the top well let's talk about a couple of the things that you've done with these lessons then something that i am uh, a new fan of is your podcast the worst movies ever played oh thank you <laughs> yes it's such a crazy show isn't it it's such, it's a it's why well, i love it uh but it's so weird it's such a weird weird profoundly weird show (laughs) the premise being and uh you can correct me here but you're playing through 
<clears throat> you're playing through straight to VHS 80s movies <laughs> and creating the story as you go. And, and the format of your show is each movie is a couple episodes of your podcast. So it all wraps up in about the same amount of time that a feature length film does. But your characters are always wildly different. It changes drastically from movie to movie. And you're always going to get something new. Yeah, I always play a radically different character, and then uh, my then Brent, uh, my friend Brent, who played, he always plays as basically the same character. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yeah, it's exactly right. It's so we we're you know it's uh, we use a role playing system called Straight to VHS, which is free to play. It's from a Lost Cat game, and uh, basically it's a TTRPG that lets you create weird '80s movies, the, the kind. That would be, you would see at the video store and you'd look at the cover and you'd be like, wow, is that a chud? Really? They came from the sewers? Did they really? What is chud? What am I looking at here? Um, that kind of uh, that kind of gonzo bonkers energy we want, like the kind of movies that they talk about, that they that they talk about and how this get made. We're making new ones in audio form. <laughs> And so, uh, so yeah, I play I play a number of different characters. Every every movie is different, so we try to tackle different genres and different scenarios. So I've played uh, I've played like characters. I like to do my characters inspired by uh, celebrities from the time period because um, I find that really helps me as a player. I still you know add in my own twists and stuff, but I like to start with a celebrity as the basis. So I'll do I did a character based on. Rodney Dangerfield. I did one based on Don Knotts. We did one recently. Um, it isn't out yet, but I play it like a Jeff Goldblum type. And so, uh, yeah, it's fun to like as a player to like explore the psychology of those like so 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 of those sort of like weirdly like because those movies those those characters are just. And the acting is always just so hammy and so like, we're just going to try it. And so I, I want to bring that energy to the game. I just want to try it with this. Like, it's not about like necessarily forming like deep characters. It's it's more about like how I want to play Chuck Norris until it doesn't make sense anymore. You know, <laughs> until until you question like what Chuck Norris is like that's. <laughs> <laughs> that's my goal when I play these characters. I want to break these characters, you know, and uh, we have a lot of fun. We're all comedians. All three of us have comedy backgrounds. We're all comedians. And so it's, uh, it's a lot of, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> that's awesome. As a listener, absolutely is. And I always like listening to actual play podcasts where the participants are all, you know, versed in that storytelling and comedy. It, it makes it so enjoyable. So yeah, nice job. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's the worst movies ever played on the Starbirds Audio Network, and you just type in worst movies ever played to your podcast player, and you'll see it. And then you also have Adventure Snack. Yes, that's right. I love Adventure Snack. Um, th this is my chance as a game designer to sort of like stretch my legs and like try new and weird things. It, Adventure Snack is uh, it's an email RPG. Um, so if you loved, if you grew up on classic game books like Fighting Fantasy or uh, Choose Your Own Adventure, uh, I think you really will dig Adventure Snack. Basically, every two weeks, I email my subscribers a new micro game book. 
and they're short enough that you can like play them on a lunch break and they're funny and they're weird and i go with different genres you know kind of like with worst movies I, i like to explore different genres so uh, we've done ones that are fantasy, very fantasy D&D inspired. We've done space opera type ones. Um, there's one there's one where you play as a cat, as the, pre- the president's cat specifically. Um, so, you know, we, we I like to vary it up. Um, but the uh, but basically you are the hero and you get to make one big decision. And uh, and that decision uh, leads you to your uh, to your ending. And so. Yeah, it's it's fun to just like explore different genres and every I like to explore different play mechanics as well and figure out like how can I take something as like as like simple as like email, it's like an email newsletter and like find like the play in it. Like to find like what mechanics would work for for this type of setting. So I've done ones where like instead of a dice roll you are like pulling out your credit card and you are using like the random numbers on your credit card to determine what ending you get. I like to do ones that are personality based. So it's like, or like, like, hey, what did you eat for lunch today? Like if you ate this type, if you ate a healthy meal, like go here, you know, uh, if you ate a not so healthy meal, get this. And don't worry, folks, like eating a not healthy meal isn't going to land you in the bad end. <laughs> Because there are no bad endings, in my opinion. Every ending has like some... I try to give a positive to some kind of ending. Even the ones where you die. It's like you die in a cool way or it's like funny. You know, it's like it's 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 fun for some reason. Um, and yeah, it's been it, it's been really cool. Adventure Snack has been... Uh, was featured at this year's IndieCade, um, which is like a, uh, a notable uh, indie games festival. Um, and it's been featured on Hyper RPG, which is a really cool Twitch channel. Um, and, uh, yeah, Substack who hosts it, uh, the newsletter host, they've featured it a couple times on their platform. So, uh, yeah, it's really, it's, it's really fun. It's really cool. Yeah. I, I really dig it. It's a nice little mental break. Congrats on all the recognition for it. That's awesome. Oh, thank you. I enjoy the wild mechanics as well. One, I believe instructed me to shoot hoops at the garbage can in the room and tell you how many uh, I got in. <laughs> so I like that. And then the titles themselves will draw you in because some of my top picks are things like don't sit on evil furniture or convince a robot to buy you beer. <laughs> like, yeah, of course I want to do that. Let's get into it. Absolutely. Yeah. I learned early on that like the punchier the title, like the more people respond to it. You got to get them to open those. Uh, <laughs> got to get them to open those emails. Yeah. Your current project, though. Uh, yes. So Target Run is out now. It's available. It's amazing. Absolutely. Oh, thank you. Um, let's can you give us a, a just a quick overview of what Target Run is all about? Absolutely. Um, Target Run is a D&D adventure that you can find on the DMs Guild. Um, it's a one-shot adventure, and it is a sports comedy inspired by movies like Caddyshack and The Mighty Ducks. Uh, so uh, your party is uh, in the entourage of Tazvan, who is a fun-loving, wealthy, party-loving a dwarf <laughs> who wants to break the elf ceiling of uh, an elitist sport called Allegan. 
Um, and Alligan is played by sun elves at a resort called Overtop Heights. It's like in the tree. It's like in a tree. It's like a tree fort hotel. And uh, in or the it's uh, no uh, non-elf has played Alligan in the sports history. And so uh, Tazvan, you being Wiley, uh, basically uh, gets the owner of the resort to agree to a to a bet that if uh, Tazvan and your entourage can defeat the all-stars of Alligan in a game of Alligan, uh, you guys, uh, she will be admitted into Overtop Heights and can play on a, and can play on a team fulfilling her childhood dream uh, her, of, of playing Alligan professionally. Um, it is, um, so, and she is, uh, there's lots of exploration in the hotel um, there is uh, there is non-lethal combat by way of this sport, Alligan, which, by the way, you can take it out of the module and you can play it. It's a team archery sport. It has elements of archery, laser tag, and hockey all, all put together. Um, and you can take it out of the module. It's designed to do that and play it in your own homebrew campaign. Um, it takes place at a resort, so it's a nice pit stop. Uh, if you've just, you know, nice rest stop, if you uh, want a, a, a palate cleanser campaign, um, this is a, it's it's really ideal for that. And it's a lot of fun. And there's a lot of different angles and things you can do uh, with it within the experience. Um, but yeah, you're definitely going to want, you are the slobs, you're definitely going to want to uh, stick it to the snooty uh, Alicant playing Sun Elves. You're going to want to show them who's boss. Believe you me, by the end of it. <laughs> and of course, if you're going to stick this into your regular campaign, you need a lovable NPC to try to draw your characters in and get them invested in, in toppling the Sun Elves. Can... That's that's right. Yeah, that's ta that's exactly right. That's Taz fan. And, and she's, listen, she's very much designed to be a lovable NPC. <laughs> There's no question about that. She is, um, I would say she's part um, Ronnie Dangerfield in Caddyshack, part uh, Emma Stone in uh, Easy A. Um, she is, uh, you know, she she is funny. She's quick witted. She is smart, um, but she's also like, uh, you know, she's she's she likes to joke around. And uh, some for for a party with extensive humor, they're gonna they're gonna love uh, they're gonna love Tad's fan. Um, you know, she's, uh, the, the Sun Elves cannot, uh, she, they cannot take her, you know, they cannot stand her. Uh, she, she's designed to grate on, on your enemies, uh, but she's designed, you're, you are definitely going to, uh, enjoy hanging out with her. And she's also very wealthy and she tips really well. So, uh, even if, if your party is just in it for the gold, you're going to, you're going to have a good time, uh, just <laughs> hanging around her. It's going to be like an entourage, HBO entourage sort of type situation, you know? <laughs> And I, I gotta say, I really like the way you design the NPCs in this because, you know, if if you're listening and you're wondering how you're gonna portray all that, well, Tazvan has an ideal. I don't know. Is it okay if I share this, Jeffrey? Yeah, yeah. Please all get right. it out. Let's 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 <laughs> let's talk. Let's talk it through. Well, yeah, because her ideal is I want to be an elegant legend. I can't go back to the mines. I'm allergic to hard work. <laughs> that says so much more about her character than the typical ideal does and these are peppered all throughout with every npc so i just appreciate how you design them like that 
Oh, thank you. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, um, it's it's all about those it's all about those adjectives. And I think I actually even list the adjectives in. I don't know if it's on her character sheet. I think it's within the body within the module. Um, but it's uh, it I it's I definitely uh, go through and talk about it uh, in terms of her character, so that uh, yeah, the DM will understand how to how to play her. And I think she's just a fun character to play. Um, you know, it, it's a break from kind of sometimes D and D. You know, can be very serious, and that's cool. Like you want that. I think that um, that epic nature of it is is great, and I think. Uh, I also think that in your greatest, in the greatest epics, um, you also want some levity. I think, you know, I, I think the people were talking about this on Twitter. Um, somebody referred to Dune as humorless. And then another person was like, it's like, well, every, oh, what does every movie have to be uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe with like reference with like jokes and stuff like that. And it's like, well, no, like not every, you know, not every epic needs jokes. But I do think that like part of the fun of world building is finding the humanity in your worlds. And I think worlds often aren't completely always serious. The world, even harsh and sad places find humor in them because that's part of the human condition is to try to find humor even when you're in a fox in the foxholes in the war, those were those were serious times, but they still were able to joke with each other they had to hmm. there's dark they had to find dark humor in that you know um in those tough times so you know that's what i bring to the that, that's what i bring i'm bringing some humor and some levity to the campaign and for those whose campaigns are already humorous and fun first of all god bless you i love you i want to be at your <laughs> table uh that's the kind i like to play and uh, and second of all this will fit right this will absolutely fit right in tonally with what you're doing yeah yeah, you definitely need those emotional breaks from the the serious toned campaigns. What uh, what else are you working on? Like, what's what's next for you? It's actually an interesting question because, well, okay, well, so professionally speaking, I um, I just released a, a Disney game. If you like uh, a Disney mobile game, so if you like uh, if you like sort of fun and and cute and and silly sort of Disney games, um, you can get uh, Disney Wonderful Worlds on uh, on mobile through uh ludia and jam cities the publishers and uh, and i wrote the toy story land so i wrote uh all the so you know we're talking woody we're talking jesse we're talking uh forky actually i think the Forky's my forky came out the best i think the forky stuff <laughs> uh and uh so yeah that that's that's fun if you like a match three puzzle or something to do while you're on the toilet i find them to be uh to be very nice for that um and uh, in terms of like personal projects, you, you know, I, I actually I've been th thinking a lot about what my next uh, DM skill project might be. And I may have been inspired by a recent episode. Um, uh, you were talking about uh, goblins and about, uh, you know, investing in goblins and uh, making them. Uh, seem you know they're they are first of all they're very smart and I think people I understand you know that people don't play that and uh, you know they're very resourceful and uh, I think you compared you were thinking of goblins by way of the hills have eyes but to me I thought of gremlins yeah. um, that that's what I thought of because that movie when I was a kid was was legitimately scary but they were also like very resourceful 
and like very good at like sw- at swarming and also like really clever. And so, um, so I don't know. What do you guys? I want to pitch you guys. What do you guys think of a of a module of an adventure module uh, that sort of uses uh, goblins as sort of inspired by the tone of uh, Gremlins? I think that that needs to exist. <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> Well, maybe that'll be my next. Uh, maybe that'll be my next project. Then I'm I'm seriously considering it. Well, that's tremendous. I I think there's so much there to inspire a great campaign because those movies were amazing and they had they had that tone and I could already see it. You could create so many different types of goblins with their <laughs> each unique kind of personalities. Oh well, save it for save it for the sequel to this module, I guess. Right? <laughs> I guess if we're going in proper Gremlins order, we've got to we've, they've True. got to take the serum in the second one. Yes. But we got we can have we can have vegetable goblin, we can have sexy <laughs> goblin. I love it. I love it. I'm a huge fan of that. I'll tell you what, hey man, and I'll throw it to I'll throw it to your uh, I'll throw it to your listeners too. Uh, I'm on uh, I'm on the 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 Hook and Chance Discord. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Jeffrey Golden, spelled uh, G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y-G-O-L-D-E-N. Let me know. I'm curious. Tell me what you think. Is that is that something uh, I'd like to know as DMs out there or players out there? Is that something you would like to play as well? Let's do a little focus testing and see before we, we invest the time and resources into the product. Let's see if uh, what what the Hook and Chance universe has to say about it. I'd be very curious to know. <laughs> Perfect. We'll throw it up on our Discord for sure. Well, what we love most about the the community that we have is that they are very participatory and they they're full of great ideas. So I can't wait to hear what they have to say as well. Um, but we'll have we'll have all of your links in the show notes um, so that you can reach Jeffrey um, anywhere he is. I don't. Uh, do we want to open that Pandora's box? <laughs> well, maybe. Maybe don't give him my uh, my home address, social security <laughs> number. Oh shit! Um, but you can definitely. You can, as we've we've already said, we can. You can find me on Twitter at Jeffrey Golden. Uh, you can find me on my newsletter, um, Adventure Snack, and I reply to email. You reply to my newsletter. I reply back, so you can always reach me. Uh, you can always reach me there, um, adventuresnack.com. And uh, and yeah, those are the, I think those are the the big two. I'd say those are the big two. Uh, and yeah, if you're on the if you're on the the Hook and Chance Discord, I I'm hanging around there as well. So so say hi. Like Travis said, we'll also have the link for Target Run, that adventure, and the worst movies ever played uh, in the show notes. So find them there. And big thanks to all of our patrons uh, who helped make this episode possible: Michelle T, Stephen V, Alan E, Matthew T. Felix R. Chris F. The Senate. Lucas D. Lila G. GM Tim. Thomas W. Tyler G. Ty N. Heavy Arms. Eric R. Aldrost. Leprechaun. And Will H. P. That list is getting longer and longer. Um, did you say did you say the Senate? The Senate, yeah. <laughs> the US Senate. <laughs> That's right. Is investing in this show. That is what they can't agree on anything. <laughs> They're divided on anything, but I'm glad that they can come together on Hook a Chance. That's We're, so that's so cool. If it's the uh, great uniters for sure. <laughs> it might be a little bit more foreboding to know that it's actually the Galactic Senate. Um, oh, I see. Yeah, that that is very different. Um, in that case, yeah, I guess some. Uh, 
I guess uh, Jar Jar Binks persuaded uh, everybody <laughs> to vote in favor of being a patron for the <laughs> for well, the for the. That's really funny. We'll and we've been we infiltrated by the emperor. So, <laughs> indeed. Uh, Thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects you heard on this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Reddit. And you can join that wonderful community that Jeffrey mentioned. You can find him there. He's a part of it now. Hooray. Woo! Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. And play, play great games.